Welcome to the Russian Rulers Podcast, Episode 30. Peter Takes on the Turks. Last week, we heard about Tsar Peter partying with his friends like there's no tomorrow, with his all-joking, all-drunken synod of fools and jesters. Then, we saw how he turned towards Archangel and Russia's only seaport, which was north of the Arctic Circle in the White Sea. He returned to Moscow only to have his mother Natalia die. He then goes about practicing for war with 30,000 men. And the war he chooses is with the Turks at the fortress of Azov. Now, I'd like to pause for a second and respond to a comment made by one of my listeners, which I really appreciate, that I tell everyone that Peter was somewhat autistic with a commonly known form of the disorder known as Asperger's syndrome. Now, some of you may know that in my other life, the one that earns a living, I'm involved in medical research, and a great deal of it has been spent on neurological disorders such as autism. I'm really not a very big fan of classifying people as being autistic or schizophrenic or any other neurologic disorder because it tends to color them as the disorder and not as a unique individual. With Peter, I really don't believe that he was autistic because of a number of incidents in his life that clearly affected him neurologically and his innate ability to communicate with people and the reports of his very animated and intelligent interactions with diplomats when he was young. And this is a very important trait in autism. I do have a bit of a problem with communications, with being able to look at people eye to eye. Peter had none of that uh, problem. He was very well known to be you know, quite uh, easy to communicate with and very open. Now, twice in his life, Peter suffered through life-threatening diseases that were accompanied with very high fevers. With medical knowledge being highly lacking in the day, people who suffered from high fevers oftentimes, if they didn't die, suffered from brain injury. Peter was no exception, as he was known to have epileptic-like fits when he became enraged. Many a time, Peter had to be taken to a quiet room and calmed because his face would twitch uncontrollably. He also, on a number of occasions, had almost grandma-like seizures that only abated when he became unconscious. He also had uh, this twitching on his one side of his face would just twitch uncontrollably. And that was where we believe this is a you know kind of an epileptic type of a syndrome. Now, some had said that it was possible that traumatic murder spree that the Streltsy went on, which Peter experienced when he was just 10 years old, may have caused some of his problems. Now, there is some credence to this theory, as those experiences certainly caused great psychological damage to Ivan the Terrible. Still, it is much more medically plausible that his seizure activity was due to his previous illnesses and not an innate condition such as autism or emotional trauma. Now, another issue that Peter is known to have had was an uncontrollable, you might just say, energetic lifestyle, so much so that it was highly common to never see him stay in one place for more than 10 to 15 minutes except for sleep. He would sit down for dinner, eat, walk away, start walking around, come back, eat some more, and walk away. He just really had a hard time you know, sitting still. And this is where they thought he might have had ADHD or ADD, and that's really likely, given the tales of his boundless energies. Well, now, let's get back to Azov. One of the reasons the Russians wanted to conquer Azov 
was that it was a launching point for Tatar raids into Russian territory, where they would capture thousands of natives to sell into slavery in Istanbul and throughout the Turkish Empire. It is said that so many Russians were in the slave markets that they wondered who was left in Russia itself. So common were the raids that the Orthodox Patriarch of Jerusalem commented, rather bitingly in a letter to Tsar Peter, quote, The Crimean Tatars are but a handful, and yet they boast that they receive tribute from you. The Tatars are Turkish subjects, so it follows that you are a Turkish subject. Many times you have boasted that you will do such and such, but all finished with words only, and nothing, in fact, was done. Now, in all honesty, this was more of a policy of Sophia, as well as the people who ruled for Peter during this five-year period, and can really not be blamed on the Tsar himself. Well, Peter began preparation in 1684 for an offensive the following year. Tens of thousands of men were conscripted, and regiments of the Streltsy were organized and readied. Men from the new and expanded Priobrazhenskoy and Semyonovsky regiments, along with Western-trained officers, cavalry, and artillery, were gathered. The commanders were two foreigners, Francis Lafort and Patrick Gordon, and one Russian, Fyodor Golovin. They would each lead a part of the army and meet together alongside one bombardier, Peter, a name that Tsar liked to be called during this campaign. Over 120,000 men were in this invasion force, which Peter believed would intimidate the Tatars holding Azov. Oh, how wrong he was. By the end of June, they reached the ancient fortress town, which was once occupied as far back in history by the Greeks in 500 BC. The siege began. Blistering the city with cannon fire had little effect. Two nearby forts held by the Turks were taken amidst heavy fighting, but Azov held out. The reason they were able to withstand the siege was because they controlled the Don River and surrounding waterways. This allowed them to get a constant stream of supplies and reinforcements sent in. To top things off, there was poor communications amongst Russian fighting units, real lack of coordination. The Streltsy refused at times to fight when ordered by foreign officers. Supplying the army also was met with great difficulty, and then it was followed by a major blow when a Dutch sailor, Jacob Jensen, defected from the Russian side and gave valuable information to the besieged Tatars. Peter fought valiantly, unlike one of his predecessors, Ivan IV, or Ivan the Terrible, who hid in his tent during the Battle of Kazan. The Tsar here acted as an artilleryman, loading the cannons like a common soldier, but then, in fighting amongst the three commanders, further bogged down the battle. With winter approaching and temperatures dropping, on October 12th, a full retreat was ordered. It took seven grueling weeks to get the army back to Moscow at a terrible loss of life. Peter returned on December 2nd, and while boasting of success, he knew in his heart that he had failed, just like Sophia and Galitsyn did years before. But as we will learn about this Tsar throughout his life, failure was just a lesson to be learned from before success. 
Peter knew what went wrong with the assault. He failed to control the waterways. He needed to completely seal off the city from their allies, and the only way to do it was with a navy. But the Russians really didn't have enough ships to blockade Azov. This was something that was not acceptable to the Tsar. He immediately ordered ships to be built, and they were to be built based on Dutch design in five months. He was told this was impossible. How could the wood be gathered from the forests in the dead of winter and transported to the town of Voronezh on the upper Don River? Well, some 30,000 men were conscripted and sent to the town to work on the fleet. Many would suffer and many would die. But that did not seem to concern Peter. Through the winter of 1695 through 1696, the building continued, with a great deal of grumbling going on in Moscow. Many of the old-time Russian boyars said to themselves, No doubt we lost to the Tatars as we were led by foreigners, not by Russians. We defeated the Golden Horde and the Kassan Tatars and the Astrahan Tatars, not the Westerners. Peter was falling into a trap, and maybe he's not a true Russian Tsar. There were thoughts of having Ivan become the Tsar, but on February 8, 1696, the sickly and mentally weak Ivan died. Peter was really truly deeply saddened, as he had a great love of his half-brother. Ivan had also been able to free Peter to stay away from court ceremonies over the years, which relieved a great burden from him. But now he was gone. Peter I was now the sole ruler of Russia, and what he said was done without question. The Tsar made his way to Voronezh and jumped into the construction of the ships with his own bare hands, driving the workers but never shucking his own duty. He ate with the carpenters, warming his hands by fires with them. He was one of them, and they admired him for it. Now the assault on Azov was ready to commence once again. Cossacks from the Ukraine and the Don were on horseback, with tens of thousands of Russian troops on foot and on barges, heading down the rivers to make another attempt at the fortress of Azov. This time, though, there would be an armada of ships, hundreds of them to blockade the supply lines to the Tatars holding the city. The fighting started on May 28, 1696. Alexis Shenin, a Russian boyar, was made commander-in-chief to avoid the mess seen in the previous three-man command. By June, the city was completely surrounded by land and by sea. Turkish ships tried to break the blockade, but to no avail. Peter began to tighten the noose around the defenders. Austrian siege engineers arrived and helped the Russians to build ramps and other siege engines to attack the fortress. Numerous offers of surrender were sent to the Pasha in charge of the city, but were rebuffed time and time again. Finally, in late July, the walls were breached, although only momentarily, but it was enough to make the Pasha realize that the end was at hand. One of the conditions of surrender was that Jacob Jensen, the traitor from the first battle, was to be turned over. Jensen screamed, Cut off my head, but don't give me to Moscow. But the Pasha had no choice but to hand him over, as one of the other stipulations of surrender that all his men could all leave under a banner of truce, unharmed, 
and allowed to return to Turkish territory. Peter walked into Azov triumphant, which was heavily damaged due to the months of artillery bombardment. He ordered the walls rebuilt using the Austrian engineers to help in reconstructing and reinforcing them. The siege works were all demolished and the mosques were converted into Orthodox churches. Azov was now a Russian city. The town, though, was not an ideal spot for a port, which Peter so wanted. So he scoured the river and found the right place, a town known as Taganrog, where the first true naval base in Russian history was to be built on the Sea of Azov, near the mouth of the Don. Word of the Russian army's victory was met with tears of joy throughout the land. It had been decades since the last Russian army had won such an important battle, and Peter was now considered a national hero. Andrew Vinius, writing to Peter, recalled when he was notified of the great victory, quote, When your letter came, there were many guests at the house of Lev Narishkin. He immediately sent me with it to the patriarch. His holiness, on reading it, burst into tears, ordered the great bell to be rung, and the presence of the Tsaritsa and Tsarevich gave thanks to the Almighty. A grand triumphal parade was planned, so when on October 10, 1696, the Russian army began their march into Moscow. The people gathered to see their hero Tsar. But what happened was a shock to the Muscovite people, as this was not an orthodox procession that marched in front of them with the holy icons leading the procession and with the Tsar at the head, but a western, almost Roman-styled parade. But where was the Tsar? Much to their astonishment, there was Peter, not at the head of the parade, but walking in the rear with a gasp, common folk and the foreigners. Peter shook things up unlike any Russian ruler before him. Next up, Peter, instead of resting on his laurels, ordered that a grand building project be undertaken to build a massive Russian navy. Monasteries, large landowners, and the wealthy elite were to fund and build the ships that Peter ordered to be constructed. Delay or refusal was met with cruel punishment. Thousands of men were ordered to head to Europe to learn the ways of the West. Some were as old as 58, some in their teens from wealthy Muscovite families who were aghast at the order. But they knew that to disobey this Tsar was not a healthy decision. Also, Azov and Tognorog were to be populated and reinforced and made into a buffer zone between the Turkish Empire and Russia. Tens of thousands of Streltsy, their families, Ukrainian craftsmen, and Cossacks were ordered into the area. Then, Councilor Ukrensev of the Foreign Ministry made this monumental announcement. The Sovereign has directed for his great affairs of state that to the neighboring nations, to the Emperor, to the Kings of England and Denmark, to the Pope of Rome, to the Dutch States, to the Elector of Brandenburg, and to Venice, shall be sent his great ambassadors and plenipotentiaries, the General and Admiral Francis Lefort, General Fyodor Golovan, and Councillor Prokofi Vozhenitsyn. This announcement was to be known as the beginning of the Great Embassy. 
one that was not only to have the aforementioned men, along with a retinue of 250 others, to visit the cities of Europe, was, but was to have one Peter Mikhailovich travel incognito with them, not as a Tsar, but as a commoner. Of course, the trick is on how to travel as just one of the guys when you're over one foot taller than everyone else. Well, next week, we go on one of the greatest journeys any leader of a country ever went on, the Great Embassy. Now for this week in Russian history for the week of December 12th through the 18th. In 1878, Joseph Stalin, a leader of the Soviet Union, is born. In 1905, the Pushkin House is established in St. Petersburg to preserve the cultural heritage of Alexander Pushkin. In 1939, the Winter War. The Soviet Union is expelled from the League of Nations for invading Finland. In 1980, Alexei Kosygin, Premier of the USSR, passed away. In 1889, excuse me, Andrei Sakharov, Russian physicist, a recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize, died. And in 1991, the Russian Federation gained independence from the USSR. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Don't forget to visit the iTunes App Store and download the Russian Rulers app, which will soon be available in other formats for others uh, to download. Uh, please visit the websites at russianrulers.podhoster.com. Become a Facebook friend at Russian Rulers History Podcast. So, don't forget to ask a question, make a suggestion, and please leave a comment. And as always, das vidanya i spasiba bolshoya.